0: Wasn't that good? Don't you love that all-gen choir? That's uh, that's good stuff. We're going to do that a a number of different times throughout the year, so we invite you to be a part of that. Obviously, every Sunday, but uh, when we do that, I hope that you have had an opportunity over the week and the weekend especially to just kind of take a second and really understand the magnitude of what Easter is as you gather with family and extended family and maybe even the crazy side of your family. Uh, Hopefully, maybe you just took a second and stopped and really... Uh, recognize what all happened as we moved through uh, Easter, like Thursday night, uh, and into Friday. We kind of know the events of Friday. Uh, we're all familiar with the story of Jesus, and so we've been talking about in here uh, sacrificing the sacred has been kind of the, the idea that we've been talking about as we move to Easter and just understanding the the actual sacrifice that Jesus made just by even coming uh, to Earth, much less uh, his his willingness to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we talked about that uh, last week and. You know, as we, as we know the story, and it can be very familiar of, uh, of the Easter story about the, the, the sham of a trial that happened, about how uh, the soldiers uh, took Jesus and flogged him. If you read that in your New Testament uh, passage, it's just one sentence. They flogged Jesus, but we understand that is a much bigger of a deal than just a one little sentence. And then they take the the soldiers take Jesus into what's called the Praetorium, and that's probably the darkest area of the of the story for me personally. This is where they beat Jesus and where they mocked him and they made fun of him. And they remember they put the crown of thorns on him and they put the robe on him. Uh, and then after all of that, uh, Friday uh, they let him out to be crucified. And and man, when we think about all of that. We are just so humbled at the thought that God would love us enough that He would allow Jesus to come and do all of that for us. But this morning, what I want us to focus on, I want us to focus on the resurrection because we look at an empty tomb this morning, and what does life look back, look like on the other side of the resurrection? Because I believe that the resurrection is is the hook of everything that we do. It's the it's the focus point of of our church. It's the it's the, the hinging point of all mankind. Uh, Paul says in his letters that uh, if the resurrection did not happen, then even Christ was not raised from the dead. And if Christ was not raised from the dead, then uh, my preaching is useless and so is your faith. And some of you who have been around here may say, yeah, Matt, your preaching is useless regardless. But we're, we're just saying that what happens on resurrection day is the most important day. Listen, this is the reason why we go to church on Sundays, because Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday, on the very first day of the week. It changed everything. And so we want to come this morning and we want to celebrate and we want to talk about what God has done and what he has a plan for you now that he's resurrected. It's not just the end of the story. We can't just come and celebrate Easter and go, man, that was really great. And that was really... That was really awesome. And then we just kind of go on about the rest of our life. It has something to do with the rest of the way that we live as well. I think I've got on the screen, I put that it's a, the pivotal point of human history, the focus of all things related to the church, the hope we have eternal life, and the basis for everything of our faith. And I, I believe those things about the resurrection. So if you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 19. I love John. You can look on the, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew. You can grab your app. You can, if you have an iPad, whatever you use. Uh, John is a great book to read. If you don't read the Bible very often, if you don't, it can kind of be a little overwhelming. If you don't know where to start, start in John. I tell everybody to start in John. We got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the four Gospels, is what we call them. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of tell the story from their perspective, but you can kind of follow along from one to the other. And John just kind of and he just kind of writes to his own drum. I like it. He kind of has a, a unique perspective. And so if you don't know where to start when you read your Bible, start with John. But in John 19, we've just witnessed uh, the crucifixion. We've seen all the things that uh, Jesus said while he was on the cross. And, uh, and we come to this place in chapter 19, verse 41. It says this. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now you have to understand, in this moment, that the unthinkable have happened. That in, in their world, the, the, the guy that the disciples had been hanging out with, Jesus, this, this incredible teacher, this compassionate rabbi, this miracle worker, they've seen all this stuff, and in this moment... That Jesus is dead. And they have no idea what to do next. Uh, the Bible tells us that a man named Joseph and a man named Nicodemus come and collect the body of Jesus and they, they wrap him in the burial cloth and they lay him in this tomb. And they've seen him, they've seen everything that happened. They've seen him whip, they've seen him flog, they've seen him him say the things that he said on the cross about forgive them. And, uh, you know, he gave, remember he gave uh, his mother to John and, and, and John to his mother to take care of. And they've seen all this kind of stuff. And then they saw the Son of God die. Now we know that he died for two reasons. Number one, is because the Bible tells us that uh, this, was the, this was the preparation day, right? Passover's coming. And, and as much as the Jews wanted Jesus dead, they didn't want dead bodies laying around over Passover. And so what they would do is they would go up to the Roman soldiers and they'd ask them to break their legs. If there was someone on the cross, they said, well, if you break their legs, they'll die faster because you have to push up to breathe. And so the, the Bible says that the soldiers went by and they broke the legs of the two guys who were being crucified with Jesus. But when they came to him, that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. That goes all the way back to Old Testament prophecy. It tells us about how those no bone will be broken. Instead, they, they jab, which is a, a spear, into Jesus' side. And if, if he wasn't dead, that would have killed him. Okay? And so we know for sure that he was dead. As the Bible talks about, the soldier said that he was. And number two, the only other reason why we know that is because it was the soldier's job to make sure he was dead. In, in this time in the Roman in the Roman world, if if a Roman soldier was in charge of a prisoner, and that prisoner got loose, or if they were supposed to die and that prisoner didn't die and they lived, then the then the soldier in charge of him paid the penalty for him. And so, if that person's that person's sentence was death, then and they got away, then that soldier. He 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 went ahead and died for that person. And so these guys had a lot of incentive to make sure that Jesus was dead. And so we know that he was dead. And they take his body off and they, and they lay him in this tomb and it's this, this crazy moment because you've got to think that all the disciples who have been hanging out with Jesus for about three years now and they've seen all this stuff happen, they've got to be thinking this can't be the end of the story. There has to be something more than this? Because, I mean, if, if if this is the end, then what have we been doing for the last three years? What have we been kind of almost wasting our time if this is the end? If you flip over to chapter 20, verse 1 through 9 tells about the very first day of the week. And so we, we know that there's been a couple of days that's passed. Mary Magdalene comes and she comes to the tomb because she's wanting to kind of Kind of put some herbs and spices in there because you got to imagine that you know uh, dead bodies stink, and so she's showing up to the tomb, and the, and the Bible says that the stone has been rolled away, and she like she just freaks out. She thinks that somebody's probably come and taken the body, and so she runs and she gets the disciples because what else can she do? And it says that she shows up to uh, Peter and John. Now this is the same John that is writing the book. If your Bible says the beloved disciple. It's because he's talking about himself. Like if I were a disciple and I were writing a book, I would say that I was Jesus' favorite too. That's what John does. That's why I like him. And so it says that Peter and the beloved disciple take off running. And again, because John's writing the book, the beloved disciple outran Peter. So not only was he his favorite, he was also the fastest. Okay. And so he gets to the tomb. And they walk in and they obviously see that the body is not there. And they begin to kind of like go, this is pretty Weird, right? And if you read, uh, verse 9 says this. This is like this incredible moment. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And I read that and I go, what? They still they still didn't get it? I remember when um, when Jessica was pregnant with Brody, our oldest boy. I, I was going to say when we were pregnant, but we were not pregnant. We looked pregnant, but because uh, I ate every time she ate. I took a nap every time she took a nap. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm tired, too. Let's go down. Um, we were, she was pregnant. I was not pregnant. When she was pregnant with Brody, we were in those last, like, y'all remember this, who's gone through this, and you're, you're like the last three weeks, and, um, and we're, we're miserable, right? And, uh, and just tired, and we're going to the doctor. You have to go to the doctor every week at that point, right? And so we'd go to Doc, and, and he'd be like, okay, looks like everything's good. See you in a week. And we're like, oh, great, thanks. See you in another week. And uh, we'd come back, and, and this was on a Thursday. And we went to go see uh, Doc, and he's like, okay, listen, everything looks fine. I don't think that you know, anything's going to happen. But I tell you what, why don't you come back tomorrow uh, on Friday before the weekend. I just don't want anything crazy to happen over the weekend. Let's just check, you, you know, check everything out, take your blood pressure one more time before the weekend. Uh, and so we were like, great. He go home, put your feet up, don't do anything. And so we went home and, uh, and did everything that we were supposed to do and uh, came back the next day. And like, you'll be the doctor's office, you just kind of sit there and he and comes in and, uh, and, and docks over in the corner and you can just see the wheels kind of cranking and he's just thinking and thinking. And he walks up to Jessica, I'll never forget. He walks up to Jessica and says, okay, uh, I need you to go home and get your bag and then go to the hospital and we're going to do this thing. And she goes, do what? And he just looked at her and he goes, um, have a baby. That's kind of what we've been working toward this whole time. And she was just like, uh, I can't have a baby. It's sleeting outside. It was like the ice storm of the center or whatever, and it felt like it anyway. And, and like, I just remember thinking in the moment, and I just kind of looked at her and I went, well, that's kind of the whole point, right? That's what we've been here for for the last forever. And Hank just said, I mean, it's kind of what we've been waiting for. This is the whole point of everything. And I read this passage of Scripture, and I look at the disciples, and I go, they didn't get it? This is the whole point this is what we've been this is what we've been working toward right we finally come to the empty tomb and everything inside of it we, we look at the disciples and we're going to shake our heads and go, why do you not understand like this is the whole how could you miss this right not counting because it says uh, they didn't understand through scripture that that scripture they're talking about is obviously the Old Testament there's countless Old Testament prophecies about how the Messiah will be put to death and be raised. Three days later, not counting the Old Testament ones, Jesus himself told his disciples over and over and over again what was going to happen. In Matthew chapter 16, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Mark 9, the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking, will be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and when he is killed, after three days, he will Rise again, Luke 18. Jesus talking, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that's written about the Son of Man and the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. They will scourge him, kill him, and on the third day he will rise. He's told them this over and over and over again, four times in the Gospel of John. He tells him once in John 8, twice in John 12, and once in John 14, this is what's going to happen. What's he doing? The whole time, if you're taking notes, these are real easy. He prepared them. He prepared them for what's next. He was trying to get them ready to understand over and over and over again. And honestly, they just they couldn't get it. They couldn't wrap their heads around it. It was so foreign to him, them. And I listen, I believe that He still does that to us. That over and over again, He's relentlessly preparing us for what He has in store for us next. Never in Scripture are you going to read a case where Jesus comes across a person and goes, you have arrived. You have just the amount of Jesus and religion that you need. You can just sit back, take a load off, kick your feet up, drink a Diet Coke, do whatever you need to do. You've you've come as far spiritually as you can ever come. You are good. Just chill for a little while. He never does that because He's always preparing them for something that, just like He's always preparing us for something next, listen. You could be a believer for years and years and years. You could be a new, what we call a new Christian, that has just kind of understood what Jesus has done and what the resurrection is all really about, and just put faith into Him. And you feel like there's just this, this, this overwhelming amount of stuff that you got to learn. Well, guess what? Those who have been saved for a very, very long time still feel like there's this overwhelming amount of stuff that we've got to learn because He's always trying to teach us something. He's always preparing us for what's next. Isaiah 43, 18 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. And over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus is calling us into a deeper relationship with Him. Because He's preparing us for something. Now, let's just real talk, okay? Real talk. Some of us, we don't recognize the preparation because we honestly just don't care. You don't see the need in it. You come to church occasionally. You maybe pray when life goes crazy, but in the big picture, you do you, and that's totally fine with you, and you don't need, quote-unquote, preparing. Can I just say something to you this morning? You're here this morning, and so God's prepared you for something this morning. Don't miss it. He's consistently preparing us for something else. Let's keep reading. We have this finally moment, right? They're walking into the tomb. They realize that, uh, that the tomb is empty, and, and we all see this as a finally this is happening. Everybody get excited moment. And the very next verse, John 2010. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And you go, what? How could they go back home? That doesn't make any sense. They should be shouting from the rooftops. They should have like a church service. They should like put a big meal together because that's what you do when you get a lot of church people around each other. You feed them and you give them, uh, give them an opportunity to worship and then you take up an offering because that's what we do, right? And so I don't understand why we're not having church. They're, they should be telling everybody about what just happened. But all too often, when we experience something that's unexplainable, we cling to what's comfortable. And they just went back home. They couldn't understand what was going on. They, they, they maybe were trying to put a couple of things together, but they just, they just went back to what's comfortable. The next few verses talk about how Mary actually encountered Jesus in the garden. And she thought that he was a gardener. Right, it says that she was sitting there weeping, and uh, and a person who she thought was a gardener, because remember the where, close where they crucified him was a garden, and the garden was a tomb, and so she thought this was just a caretaker, and and she's asking him where, you know, do you know where somebody took Jesus? Because we can't find him, and we really just want to know where he is. And 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 finally, there's this really neat moment in verse 16, where Jesus looks at her and says, "Mary," and in that moment, she she understood. Listen, C.S. Lewis said this. You can't see anything properly when your eyes are blurred with tears. Man, That's like a whole other message by itself, right? She couldn't really see Jesus for who he was because she was just so, listen, we become so emotionally consumed with the mess around us that we miss the miracle right in front of us. And Mary was missing it. Jesus finally tries to kind of get her attention. And we read this, and like we read most of Scripture, we read this very like uh, flat, and he says, Mary. And you got to know, he probably went, Mary! Like, like, get her attention, Mary! And she says, it says that she, she turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, and this is an Aramaic word, and it says, Raboni, which just means teacher, right? And Jesus said, don't hold on to me, because I've not yet returned to the Father. Go instead and tell my brothers that I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. What did he tell Mary? He told her to go. He said, go. Hang on a second. Hang on to that. Verse 19. On the evening of the very first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. You think that's what he said? I think he said, Hey, guys, don't freak out. Here I am. Because they're in a locked room. They're by themselves. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there. And we read that and we go, peace be with you. He probably said, hey, don't freak out. Here I am. And he says them, he goes, listen, after this, he shows them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw him. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you, right? Calm down, everybody. It's okay. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What did he tell Mary? He told Mary to go. And he shows up to his disciples, and the very next thing he tells them is, I'm sending you. Go. Go out and tell. Listen, the second thing I've got on my list, if you're taking notes, is he gave them purpose. Purpose. He gave them purpose. He gave them a job to do. Not just to sit back on their blessed assurance and, and sit around and talk about how great all the old times were. He says, go, I'm sending you. And listen, we've got thousands of people who are in life and they're trying to figure out the meaning of life or the key to happiness or what on earth are they there for, right? What's my purpose? What's the big picture reason why I'm on this planet? And I believe this is it. Because Jesus is telling us, listen, I'm sending you. Go tell people about what you've seen. Tell about what God's done in your life. Tell about the preparation that we've taken place that's gotten you to this point. Tell them about the mountains that you climbed and the valleys that you had to walk through. Tell them about everything that God's done for you. I'm sending you out. Go and tell them. Why? Why would He go? Why would He tell us, go? If you keep reading, verse 30 and 31. This is kind of John's narrative summary statement at the end of chapter 20. He said, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why are we going? What's our purpose? Is that we tell others so that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing they may have life in his name. You want to talk about what we're supposed to do with our life? You want to talk about your purpose and the whole reason why you're on this planet? It's this. This This is so easy. Everything that we do points to Jesus. Remember I said at the very beginning that the resurrection is the focal point of the church. It brings meaning to our faith. It is everything that we do every sermon that's preached, every ministry that we have at the church, everything that we do here points to that Jesus came so that we can have life and in him life more abundantly. That's the whole point of everything. And the very first two things that he said was, go, I am sending you. That's incredible, church, because what we want to do is we want to sit back and go, he was probably talking to somebody else. He wasn't meaning me. He did. I'm not that good with my words, or I've got all these other excuses that I can use. And he's saying, go, I'm sending you. Church, it's time for us to go. He prepared them. He gave them purpose. And then number three, let's keep reading. John chapter 21, verse 1 through 3 says this, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, this is the Sea of Galilee, okay? They called it a couple of different things. Uh, Tiberias was the city that was close to it, so they, by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way, this is great. Simon Peter, Thomas, they called him Didymus, Nathanael from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, this is James and John, this is the guy who's writing the book and his brother, and two other disciples, they were all together, and Peter told them, quote, I'm going out to fish. This is South Arkansas, man's favorite verse in the whole Bible, right? They go, listen, it's biblical. I'm going to fish. This is what Peter says. He says, I'm going to fish, Peter told him, And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now listen, what did Jesus just tell them to do? He said, go, I'm sending you. And where did they go? Fishing. Is that what Jesus meant? Don't think so, right? And so they go, and I, we read all this and we go, okay, listen, they've seen the empty tomb. They've heard Mary's story about the gardener, and oh gosh, it's Rabona, and it's this Jesus, it's Master Teacher. And, and they've seen Jesus twice already. Remember they were in the locked room, Jesus shows up, says, everybody calm down, peace be with you, right? Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas says, if I don't see him myself, I'm not going to believe. And so he waits a week, comes back a week later and shows up again. And Thomas is there. Remember, he sees and puts his hands where the nails were and puts his hand on the side. And he says, now I believe. And Jesus says, you know, blessed are those who uh, will believe and have never seen. You know, that's talking about us. And so they've seen Jesus twice. They've heard about uh, Mary's encounter with him. And they've seen the empty tomb. And they go back fishing? How can they ever go back to their regular life, once they've experienced Jesus resurrected? After all that they've witnessed, after all that has just happened, after everything that's gone back, how can you go back to life as normal? And I guess, church, I'm going to ask you the same question. With all that you've seen God do do, with all that you've experienced, with, uh, with if you've had this real encounter with the Savior, how can you go back to life as normal? With, with all that you've seen God do, with with all that you've experienced, if you've had a real encounter with Jesus, how can you go back to life as normal? Listen, some of you, I get it, You come to church on Easter, on special occasions, and and week after week you just kind of go back to normal life. And you say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, uh, uh, and I've had this encounter with Jesus, but you continue to just live life how you want to live life. You do you, and we've got a full house this morning. I know churches all over the state, all over this country have full houses this morning. But the reality is the same Jesus that we celebrate resurrected this morning is the same Jesus that we celebrate resurrected in August. It's the same one that we celebrate resurrected in February. It's the same one that we're going to celebrate in July. It's the same Jesus, and we continue to come back and go, we cannot live life as normal life anymore because we've had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Peter, James, John, Nathaniel, and Thomas, they tried to go back. They tried to go back to normal life, and Jesus met them. And listen, John chapter 21, verse 4 says this, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that. That it was Jesus. Sometimes when you go back to what's comfortable, and you go back to life as normal, maybe your old life, you can't even see Jesus when He's right in front of you. They didn't recognize it was Him. And in verse 5, He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No. They answered, isn't that what you want to hear when you've gone out fishing all night and you've not caught anything? Somebody on the bank going, Don't you have any fish? And they're like, No. And then Jesus says this, throw your net on the right side of your boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's that? John, right. John said to Peter, it is the Lord, right? John has the revelation because remember John's writing the book and he's like, hey, that's Jesus. And Peter at this point is like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe it's him. What's he doing? Number three, if if you're keeping notes, He's pursuing them. He's coming back. They went back to their old life. They went back to the old stuff. And and he's coming back and he's trying to get them back on track. He's pursuing them. The Bible says that they caught so much fish, I think it was 153 to be exact, that they couldn't even pull the fish into the boat. It says the nets didn't rip, even though there were so many fish. I love this part of the story when when John says, hey, that's Jesus. And Peter sees him and recognizes him, and and he like force gumps off the boat like Lieutenant Dan's on the shore, and he's like, hey, and he jumps off and he swims in. And the Bible's like, they're 100 yards offshore. The rest of them just paddled in. They're like, Peter, come on, man. And they're like, of course, they're mad because they're having to deal with the fish. Anyway, they all get up to the shore at some point, finally. And in verse 9, it says, when they landed, they saw a fire. Of burning coals and fish already on it and bread too. And Jesus said to them, Bring me some of the fish that you just caught. This is a really cool moment because if you read this in this narrative, some of y'all have read that verse a thousand times and you just don't think anything of it. But when Jesus is pursuing the disciples, he didn't need anything from them. Did you catch that? He didn't need their fish, he had fish. But he's preparing. Something for us. listen, he doesn't need us, but he wants to provide for us. He wants to provide while we're while he's pursuing. And that's an incredible thought. Jesus needs absolutely nothing from us. The the big word for that is a Jesus is assay. And assay just means this. It means he's completely self sufficient. He is in need of nothing from anyone. Okay? And so the fact that uh, we sit around and think that somehow God needs us to come to church or to worship or he needs us to give an offering or be involved in small groups, God doesn't need us to do any of that. We need that. Listen, worship happens because of the need of creation, us, not because of the need of the creator, him. He doesn't need for us to, we need to worship him, understand? And so he doesn't need anything from us, but he continues to provide for us and he continues to pursue after us and so he says hey guys bring me some of that fish you just caught and we assume that you know obviously he cooked it on the coals and uh and he kind of prepared things for the for the disciples and then he has this really neat conversation with peter verse 12 jesus said to them come And have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Listen, Jesus, in his pursuit of us, in his provision for us, desires close fellowship with us. He desires for us to understand him and for him to understand us and for us to have this intimate relationship with each other that's more than just a, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name before we eat or I'm going to pray when life goes crazy or I'm going to come to church occasionally or I'm going to be involved in things that I feel like I want to be involved in as opposed to I'm going to do things because God's drawn me to those. He He wants a deeper relationship than this surface level thing and he looks at his disciples and says, come and have breakfast. That simple invitation was an invitation to get back on track. It was an invitation to kind of come back and get recentered, and to kind of, kind of take a deep breath and go, listen, I've got a purpose for you, I've prepared you, and I've pursued you. Now let's do what we're supposed to do next. Listen, our invitation this morning for breakfast was exactly that. It was an opportunity for you to come in and to fellowship and to understand that God's prepared something for you this morning, that He is He's got a purpose for your life, and that He's actively pursuing you. We we had a big breakfast. If you missed it, man, you missed it. Some of you showed up late and you still missed it because we ran out of food, right? I saw some people walking down the hallway with like, looks like somebody just kicked their dog. I mean, it was bad. And I was like, Hmm, sorry, it started at you 9 know, kind of 30. Here's the deal. I believe wholeheartedly that God has this purpose that he's preparing each one of us for. And so my question to you this morning is, are you willing to just set with the Savior, Are you willing to just have him pour into you and talk to you? This conversation after this is where uh, Peter and Jesus have the, you know, feed my sheep, do you love me, feed my sheep, do you love me kind of conversation. And he sets up Peter as this guy who's going to help take the church to new things. You turn the page, you get into Acts, and you see what all the church does after this. And it's incredible. But it's because he pursued them. Because when things got crazy, they just went back to their old life. Let me tell you, church, we cannot, absolutely cannot go back to life as normal when we've met the resurrected Savior. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand up and just bow your head. We do this because it just keeps us focused and it keeps us kind of locked in. I know that um, we've had a lot of things this morning and And I've been talking for about 30 minutes now, and I think it's really important, but this is probably the most important thing that we're going to do all day long. For many of you, maybe it's been a while since you've been in church. Many of you maybe never have come to church. You don't really understand this whole God thing. Listen, you're in a great place this morning. Maybe you have a lot of questions about life and about really purpose for life, and why would God pursue you if you've done all these bad things, and He doesn't know me, or He wouldn't use me. Listen, these guys that, that Jesus hung out with, James and John and Andrew and, and Peter, these guys were not the cream of the crop guys. They're just normal, everyday people. And He uses people like that to, to do the most incredible things. Everyone on the stage, every, every person on staff at our church could look back and go, why would He use me? Why would He desire close fellowship with me? But listen... When we realize that when we come to Jesus, He's already got everything prepared. That He's he's offering provision. And that He loves us enough to come after us, even when we've gone back to our old life. If you have questions about what that means, if you have questions about why God would even love you, come talk to me. We're going to have what we call the invitation. The invitation is just simply this. It's open to do whatever God's wanting to do in your life. You may be here this morning saying, listen, I, I maybe I've heard this story of the, of the cross and of the resurrection a thousand times, but I never put it in perspective that he did all that for me. Then this morning, listen, you can get that locked in and you can get that nailed down and you can understand what salvation is all about. Some of you may say, listen, I get it. I know this story. I've heard it a thousand times, but I've just not been living it. I'm a believer, but I haven't been acting like I'm a believer. I've been, I've been saved. I got saved maybe in this church or another church. And, and man, I just need to come back to what I know I'm supposed to be doing. This is your opportunity to get re-centered, to get refocused on what matters most. Some of you just say, listen, I, the thing that's going to help push me over the edge is I need to join a church and I need to join this church. Man, we'd love to have you. If you have questions about any of that, if you just need to come and you just need to pray, whether you want to pray with me or Dustin or not, if you just want to come and pray at the altar, you're welcome to do that. This is your open invitation to do whatever it is that God's trying to do in your heart. Hey, this is Matt Overall, the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. We'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emanuel. Thanks for watching.